Welcome to the Plan Simple Podcast. I am your host, Mia Moran. Moms have the power to change the future, but not if we're stressed out and exhausted. Looking at food, lifestyle, spirituality, and work, the Plan Simple Podcast is for busy moms who want to create a healthier and happier future. Listen in for inspirational conversations and valuable strategies to plan for your best life. Hey, welcome to this episode of the Plan Simple Podcast. I need to tell you in advance that I am not a word person. If you are a word person, you have probably noticed that about me. I make up words quite often. And sometimes topics are touchy enough that because I'm not a word person, I actually avoid them because I'm sensitive and when I can't find the words, I don't want to offend anyone, and so I hide because that means I pretty much don't have to feel uncomfortable if I hide and no one knows that I don't know the words. So right now, I'm a little bit uncomfortable, and that feels like the right place to be. I've searched for the words to say today. I thought about hiding. I'm going to fumble. I thought about going forward with the episode that was planned, but that felt even more wrong than fumbling. I'm heartbroken, heartbroken, sad, mad. I don't even know what the words are at the events that have happened in the past few weeks. And at this moment, hiding definitely feels like my white privilege. So I really want to be in action. I don't want to hide. I'm 100% scared of messing up, of saying something wrong, of hurting someone who I don't want to hurt. I also want to be really clear that I'm owning my discomfort. I'm here on purpose. My black friends have wanted me here for a long time. And for my white friends, it's okay to feel horrible. It's okay to feel uncomfortable. I believe that feeling uncomfortable is part of the path to the solution. It's the part that we really need to feel right now. If I say anything that offends you ever on this podcast, please reach out to me so that I know and so that I can learn. On this episode, if you like what I'm saying, please don't give me credit. I'm setting it up in a way that I hope you can see that this is not about me isn't. (laughs) I really want to have some meaningful conversations right now. There's going to be more after this one. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to do it publicly so that if you're learning at the same time I am, we can learn together. As I was thinking about how to explain this series, I was definitely back at my loss of words. And when I did find the words, which I eventually did, I couldn't press record I recorded this interview that I'm going to share with you today, actually last week, but something about the words I found to introduce our amazing guests were not right. They felt focused on me. They didn't feel focused on racism. And this, if I've learned anything, is not about me. It's not about you. It's it's about racism. It's about ending a system that needs to be ended. And then, thank goodness, I got an email from Jackie. 
Jackie was recently a speaker at our event, The Art of 90 Days, which is one of the reasons it took me a little bit longer to even think about doing this episode, which is such a lame excuse, but I was just had my head in the sand doing this event. And Jackie was a speaker. And at the event, she spoke about publicity and how to create a publicity strategy in 90 days if you're an entrepreneur, because her goal is to create more good media in the world. And she's amazing. She's so good at what she does. So Jackie Cote is a very successful business owner. She's also a mom and she's also a black woman. And yesterday, I got an email from her that explained exactly why I feel so compelled to introduce you to our guest today and why I have a plan for more of these conversations in the future. And it feels much better that you are hearing these words from Jackie than from me. That feels right. And maybe because they're coming from Jackie and not me, they will motivate you too. So I'm just going to actually read you what she wrote because it's powerful in her exact words and I do not want to paraphrase them. This is what Jackie says. The death of George Floyd and the blatant disregard for black lives has to stop. I've spent the past few days filled with grief, sadness, anger, outrage, frustration. I hang out in many masterminds and communities where I am one of just a handful of black women. And I've been speaking out, demanding that my mentors and colleagues join me in the fight. Black lives matter. And I invite you, more than anything, to take action. Today, I'll be attending a peaceful protest to make sure people know it's not okay to kill people because of the color of their skin. Now is the time to act. Now is the time not to stay silent. Whether you donate, protest, write letters, read books, please act. It's not enough anymore to say you stand for love and peace if you're not willing to use your voice now when it matters most. If you don't know what to say, that's okay. Just be real and be okay with it being messy. Also, be okay with feedback and people helping you gain greater awareness around what you're saying and how you're coming across. And that, my friends, is why I'm using my voice now. Thank you so much, Jackie, for sending me that email. I needed that, and I hope everyone who's listening really appreciates Jackie's message. And now I get to introduce you to our guest today. This is an imperfect conversation that I definitely had before I was ready, and in full disclosure, chickened out sending out last week. I couldn't find those words. I guess I'm glad I I waited because I found Jackie's words. And when I first had what I call, I guess, a white woman's version of outrage and sadness, which was, you know, a few weeks ago, which was way too late. It was delayed due to my birthday, due to a launch, which sounds obscene. And the fact, just the fact that I'm a 45-year-old woman with many black friends, it just, I can't even get over the fact that it's taken me this long to speak out in this way. And I'm sorry. I'm really genuinely sorry. So I reached out to my friend, Shalina Broster. She's been on the podcast before. We will link to her episode in the show notes because it is good. And that is where she shares her full story, um, which is just incredible. 
She is an amazing coach for entrepreneurs trying to get started. So if you're at that point where you are sick of depending on someone else for making your living, if maybe if this coronavirus pandemic time really got you motivated to figure out how to make money in a different way, Shalina is your person. She's so good at breaking it down from the beginning. She's also a mom. And as I said, go check out her story because her story is is unbelievable. At the end of this episode, I'm going to share a few thoughts and a few actions that I'm taking. So I always end with doable changes and I'm going to end with some actions that I'm taking right now in case those motivate you. But now let's get the amazing Shalina Diva Broster on the show so you can hear from her herself. All right, Shalina Broster, I am so excited to have you back here and to be having this conversation, which I'm super excited, nervous, intrigued, all the emotions about. So welcome to the Plan Simple Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. So I definitely have a lot of questions, but I would love to start by just listening. And we started a little bit before we pressed record with just what your current thoughts are, what the current state of your world is. And so will you just, will you go into that a little bit? We were talking about your image. We were talking about you, you know, really focusing on your work and then at some point really shifting that focus. Can you just, can you just tell us where you stand right now? Is that a, too big of a question? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how about, how about we just start with the questions you want to ask and then and I can okay things in that way. Okay. Sounds perfect. Well, mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about you. So you are an entrepreneur, your mom, and you live in Philadelphia. Yeah. Tell us, tell us, tell us, just give us a little background. So we, so the people who didn't hear the first podcast can just get to know who you are and what you do a little bit. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So I am Shalina Diva, the purpose-driven diva. And uh, my clients call me the diva because I show women how to discover, invest, value, and appreciate their lives and business. And through my company called Best Selling Year, I show women how to take what they know and turn it into a profitable online or virtual coaching business in the three areas that we focus in are um, a prop, creating a profitable personal brand, creating digital content that gets you paid and positions you as an expert, and then finally showing you how to create those digital products such as the eBooks, the, the memberships, the webinars, you know, anything virtual, a virtual product or service, we show you how to create those things so that, you know, as we say, you can teach, impact, and get paid. So I am um, a a business coach and I'm a speaker and I'm an author and I'm also and a mentor and I'm also a mother of a son. He is amazing. And my son is on the autism spectrum. So being a mother to a child on the autism spectrum has taught me so much about life and love and possibilities. Uh, he was diagnosed when he was officially diagnosed when um, back in 2015. So he was maybe six years old at that time, which is a little late when most people um, get their children diagnosed, they usually do it around three. So um, I just remember my world shattering because I'm like, oh my gosh, like you don't know what the future will hold for your child. And uh, we had him in this really prestigious private school, blue ribbon school. And they basically like 
would not let my son come back. And he's a great kid, no, no behavioral problems. But, you know, I remember being in a meeting and with the, the, the sister who was over the school and uh, the dean of the student, she said, you know, my son will never be able to hold down a job. And my son was like, at the time, my son was in a classroom and he was just running around in circles and he had his arms out. He looked like a little airplane, just circling. <laughs> she said, look at him. He'll never be able to hold down a job. And that was like the dagger in my heart. I'm like, how dare you say that about my child? You don't know anything. And um, I know we're going to talk about race. So he was at a predominantly white private school in a, in a um, town in a part of Philadelphia called Chestnut Hill, which is like that old money, right? And so they told us that, you know, when we could afford to pay, but they told us that my son, they don't have any resources for him. They can't give him tutoring or whatever. And then when we went to talk like to the, um, the I guess the head nun again, on our way to our meeting with her, what did we see? We saw a little white boy with a tutor in the library. And I called mm -hmm. her, I said, wait a minute. You said these kind of resources weren't available. They said, oh, his parents paid for that. And we said, oh, we're willing to pay for it too. And it was like, well, you know that that's a private matter. So for mm -hmm. me, I told, um, and I'm not with my son's father. I told him, I'm like, you know, you wanted him to be, in this school for the prestige, you know, to, for your, cause uh, my son is his father's like only boy. I'm like, you know, but I don't like my child in here and you know, my child is not a problem and I don't like how they treat. So it was racism, yeah. you know? And I'm like, I don't care about this prestige. They can go to hell. Okay. I don't care about that. I don't want my child to feel as if they are the other, you know, and we're paying, I'm paying you to feel like the other. So, um, my son no longer, he no longer attends that school, but that was like the first time. And um, this will definitely feed into the conversation. My son is adorable. He's handsome. <laughs> I've as, seen him. He is. <laughs> yes. As a mother of a black boy, our sons are considered handsome and cute until about the age of six or seven. Mm. And then society starts seeing them as um, a potential thug. So he's no longer really six or seven, six or seven. My child is no longer cute. He's now someone who he's now viewed by society as someone who could steal your car, who could mug you. And so I have all of that going on. And my son is special needs. And at the time he was nonverbal, like he was, he wasn't totally nonverbal, but he really couldn't articulate. He couldn't speak. And I'm like, O-M-G. Like it was like, like doubly impacted. And so around six or seven, that's when our young black boys start, they stop from being cute to he could be a potential threat. And you think about six or seven, they're starting first grade, right? So in, in, in places like Philadelphia, they call, it's something called the prison. There's something called um, the pipeline, it was like the pipeline to prison. Yeah. From, what yeah. That, yeah. I just it, heard that. Yes. And phrase. so what that means is from like the first to the third grade, the uh, statisticians, they are tracking our children. And if our children fail in English and math, and they don't have um, good attendance, they are using that to project how many prisons they're going to need to build 
to house children like my son. He's an innocent six or seven year old kid. But if, you know, going through first through sec first through third grade, if he fails English, if he fails math, if he um, doesn't have good attendance, he's already like, you know, like uh, uh, it's already like a strike against him. And they use those figures to determine how many prisons they need to build to create because they're figuring if he's already messing up here, he's not even going to finish high school. So it's a, it was a statistic that if um, you failed English and math, you had bad attendance, that you had a 67% chance of dropping out of high school and for the boys going to jail. For the girls, it was getting pregnant. Mm. So these were for black boys and black girls. So if they're failing in middle school, there's someone up in the tower. They're saying, okay, so these are, these are the number of prisons we need to build to house. So it's, I think it's like school. Um, I know it's like, some, I forget the phrase, but it's like pipeline to prisons. So a lot of these schools, they're actually feeding prisons. Right. And, and, and yeah. not helping to make a difference in the meantime, because they're not serving the kids. Yes. And we pay all of these taxes. We pay sugar taxes and all that. And you wonder, where is this money going? You know, so um, that is a very real thing. That is unbelievable. Okay. So, well, I, now that gave me like a thousand other questions <laughs> that okay. I didn't even have on my head. So let's, well, let's keep there for a second. Mm -hmm. So in that moment as a mom, so I feel like one of the things that's, uh, and one of the things I'm going to say this out loud first, that's hard for me to separate in my own head, just because I'm trying to learn as much as I possibly can right now, is that I definitely think that there's things like one of the other structures that we're living in is just this patriarchy, right? Which we're all experiencing as mothers, whether no matter what the color of our skin are, is or whatever. And parenting, mothering, I think, has just become this like insane thing and it's lonely. And so do you feel like there is support among mothers of kids who are, whose kids are being, um, you know, like, is this something that you talked about with friends or is this something that we're all just alone on and there's no one to talk to and the schools aren't being supportive? Like, how is that working as a mom? And I know that you had all these other circumstances, which we didn't even get into the whole story of at this time in your life, but. Well, it's systemic. So usually, usually when things are systemic, it's like, that's just how it is. Okay. So for me and my son, now he attends a public school and I'll just tell you about that. Um, I feel like it's a better situation for him because at least with public schools, they have to come up with resources for him. Right. right. And, and the thing is, uh, so they have to come up with resources for him and However, I had to fight them for five years to give my son an adequate IEP, individualized education plan, that it was, you know, I, we went up to the highest level. We just didn't talk to the superintendent. That's how high up we went. And it was just like tugging and tugging. And there were times when I would say, if I were a white woman, I wouldn't be going through this. Yeah. You know, like if I were a white woman, you would not be taking me through all these changes. You would be listening. And so it was a five-year battle to make sure that my son got an equitable and favorable um, education, which he's entitled to. So um, I feel as though because something is systemic and it's kind of, that's just the way it is, you don't really talk about it. For example, it. little black boys, 
they they try to put them on medication with my son i was like absolutely not they try to label them quickly put them on um medication and then put them all in special education and i'm like well could it could it be that they learn differently have you ever tried that instead of just labeling them because that label sticks with them for the rest of their lives right so uh when you look at a lot of the special education classes in the inner city is disproportionately black boys it is okay that was my question yes okay Mm -hmm. interesting Mm -hmm. all right so let's move into so one of the things that you also said in when we were first talking and this was actually one of the things that really prompted me wanting to have a series of conversations over the next few weeks is that one of my strategies for just being able to show up as a mom who, you know, definitely loses my shit sometimes, but not all the time, um, and can, you know, stay kind of calm and um, get a lot of work done and, you know, do all the things that we need to do to live, like, that I can show up the best to my, my life right now. One of my big strategies is not consuming so much media. Mm-hmm. So I just feel like media is so crazy right now. And if I go down a rabbit hole, I'm, I'm an empathetic person and I just get depressed and I, I, I just can't, like, then I can't concentrate. Then I can't show up to be the person that I know I really want to be in this world. And pretty much two days ago, I, you know, woke up to an exploding inbox of, you know, white women canceling all the things they were doing. Um, anger on Facebook feeds about what was happening from all sorts of people. Um, And I was just like, oh my God, what did I, what happened? You know, like, what did I miss? And, And, you know, and I very purposefully actually did it at the beginning of COVID because just being in the health space, like what I try to do is, is just really master the things that I know I can be in control of because there's so much fear in that area of our world too, right? Of like, Mm -hmm. Medicaid, do this, blah, blah, blah. And so that was just a strategy that I use not to, not to go into fear, because I don't believe that good things come from fear. And I do realize, I think I've always realized that that is a privilege. And, but two days ago, I was just like, well, who am I to have that privilege? And that was kind of like my like wake up two days ago of, of, you know, well, maybe I have to figure out how to be calm and a good mom and do work and whatever, and understand what's happening in the world. Yes. And I, so you said at the beginning that you also don't listen to media. So I'm super curious, like your thoughts on that. Yeah. So I just want to say that for most peak performers, I would consider you a peak performer and I'm a peak performer. We have to monitor and watch what we consume. So for me, I used to love CNN. Even my mother's dog, he knows when she comes over, she's watching CNN and he'll sit down. He's a golden doodle. He'll sit down and watch CNN with me. But since COVID, I haven't had a chance to go over there. So um, I love CNN. That's just, I just like CNN. And it's like MSNBC. <laughs> but I said, if I want to crush it in my business, I have to be focused. So I stopped watching um, like I stopped going to start, you know, how we have our like guilty pleasures. One of my guilty pleasures is like the shade room on Instagram, where they talk about all the black celebrities or they just talk about like popular culture. I had to tune them out and I tuned CNN out and I went hard in my business. I was hard in the paint, as they say, for about six weeks. And 
you know, like I said, there was a gentleman, a young man who actually was killed in February, Ahmad Aubrey, I believe that's his name. And he was a black jogger. And um, the two, uh, the two white men, it was a father and a son, they killed him. And it was on video. I purposely did not watch it because I am very empathetic and I didn't want to go there. I'm like, I have a lot I'm trying to achieve. And I didn't speak on it publicly on social media. I didn't indulge because I know what triggers me. And remember back to my conversation, my cute little six-year-old, seven-year-old son, he's no longer adorable in society's eyes. He's like a threat. And this guy, Ahmad Aubrey, that's like every black mother's nightmare. Right. You can't just jog. So I'm not, I, I have to be honest. I did not consume the media around that. And then it was George Floyd. And, you know, that happened on um, Memorial Day, May 25th. I honestly, I did not indulge in that either. And a lot of the COVID stuff, I did not, even though I lost people that I know from COVID, I couldn't indulge in it because it was, that energy was not in alignment with where I wanted to go. So um, everyone was talking about this George Floyd. They're like, oh, you got to see the video, the video. And some people were like, I wish I didn't see the video. And here's the thing, when you're a leader and when you're on social media and you have people who follow you, at some point, you have to let them know that you know what's going on. So right. I said, you know what? Even if it's like a popular song, like Megan Thee Stallion and Beyonce, they did a song called Savage, the remix, right? Everyone was talking about it. Because I want to keep my ear to the ground, I'll just take the time out and watch it just so I can be in the conversation. And, and you know, so the, being in the conversation could be for silly things, fun things, whatever. But I said, you know what? It was the weekend. I said, I'm done all of my like work for my business. I'm doing well. Let me take a look at this video everyone is talking about. And before I get into what I saw and what I thought, you also have to keep in mind as a peak performer, I have a daily spiritual practice. Every morning I try to get around five o'clock, definitely by 6 a.m. I am doing my ritual, which consists of, I have a gratitude journal, I write down what I'm grateful for. Then I write down five money earning ideas I can implement in my business. I read a book. The book I'm reading now is called The Greatest Salesman in the World by Agnandino. I'll read Ooh, that's scroll. on my list. Yes. I read a scroll every morning. So the way it works, every, every time you, um, every chapter, every, at a certain point in the book, he starts with these scrolls. You have to read the scroll for 30 days consecutively before you can move on to the next one. So I'm reading the scrolls, you know, and I'm letting it sink in. And then there's another book I go to. It's kind of like my strategy book. It's called The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Halliday. I love that book. And I'll just read bits and pieces of it. And he talks about emotional intelligence and strategy and um, how do you get through obstacles. And so I, that's like, you know, and, I, and I'm listening to like gospel music or I'm listening to inspirational stuff while I'm doing it. And then after that, I have my to-do list. And then I have my money journal and my money journal is like how I, I create my weekly money goals. And then I keep, I'm keeping track like a hawk. What, what, you know, how much, how many sales came in yesterday? How am I, am I on track for that? So that's my spiritual practice every morning. And I've been doing this consistently. I haven't missed a day since January. So unlike other people, you know, in the, in the black culture, we say I'm prayed up. I am prayed up. I'm spiritually fortified. I am mentally tough. Um, and I'm strong because I'm like a, I'm like a, a, a spiritual or a mental athlete. Like, 
you know, if it, you know, you know how some people they hit the gym and they work on different parts. Well, I do that with my, um, my emotions and with my spirit and mentally. So it's kind of like, I'm in that, I'm in that mental gym every morning and I'm pumping and I'm, so I'm fortified. So I will say that. So when I watched the video, I was, I wasn't just watching it as someone who is just open to the whims of all kinds of emotions, you know, because I learned how to control my emotions and emotional intelligence. I'm building up, building that up. So when I watched it, I was like, okay, I'm like, I thought they said that he was like resisting arrest. You know, they had him on the ground and his hands were behind him. And I don't know if you've ever sat on the ground and your hands are hand, your, your hand, your hands are handcuffed behind you and people want you to stand up. They're going to have to pull you up because you have no leverage. You right. know, if you're sitting down on the ground, you have no leverage to hoist yourself up with your hands. So I'm like, I don't really see what the big commotion was, right? So then they take him and they put him into the car and then he comes out of the car. And then it's all, and you know, then you see from a different angle, he's on the ground and an officer has his knee, his knee in his neck, his neck area. You know, our necks are not that, that area, like our necks are not that long. We're not giraffes. So your neck, that's a really sensitive area. And it's, it's not a huge surface area. So this cop's knee is, is in his neck. And then the other cops, they have their knees in his back. And I'm like, this man isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Like, he can't move. How is he resisting? And then I'm like, wait a minute. He was on his neck for eight minutes. And so this is me just being like observing. And then I'm looking on the ground. And I'm like, wait a minute. Is the car leaking? Like, is there a leak from the car? that they're next to and I said wait a minute if there was a leak from the car if there was oil or something escaping it would roll backwards what I saw it was like rolling forth I said oh my goodness this man has urinated on himself George Mm -hmm. Floyd he and you heard him saying um please I can't breathe I can't breathe I'm like oh my gosh this is just like Eric Garner that happened back in 2014 like I can't breathe and so I'm just I was just puzzled I'm looking like why is his knee on his neck and the people are telling you and he's telling you I can't breathe and he called out for his mother I always want to draw you back to my cute six or seven year old I don't care how old your children get they will always be your babies so in the midst of it this grown man who's about 46 he's crying for his mother and he's like I can't breathe I can't breathe and he urinated on himself and anyone who knows, you know, when people are like, they lose, you know, conscious or their breath or whatever, urination, you urinate on yourself. And I'm like, does this cop not know these signs? And the people are like, listen, he can't breathe. Stop, stop, stop. And even after the man was unconscious, this cop was still, still had his knee in, on his neck. So this is just me just kind of like looking to see what's going on so that why I can be included in the conversation if I chose to be in the conversation. I now know what the video is and I understand what people are talking about. But even still, it doesn't mean that I have to create, like indulge in it to the point where, you know, a lot of people were enraged and I'm like, that doesn't help me. And, but I wanted to know what was going on. So when I saw the video, I kind of like took it all in. And then as I thought back on it, I'm like, why was his knee in his neck? I just didn't get it. And then I thought about it and I was like, we just witnessed 
a modern day lynching where black men would be out and for whatever reasons, whatever they did, uh, a a gang of white men. And it was ritual. Lynching was ritualistic. They used to gather around and have picnics and, and look, and they would look at these black men being strung from a tree. Billie Holiday has a song called strange fruit and she's talking about lynching. And so, um, I said, okay, although he had his knee in his, in his neck, he lynched him. He didn't have a tree and rope, but he, like, you cut off his airway. And so I was just like, wow. And then what was horrible is, I mean, what's horrible for Black people is we always have to justify, well, well, was he resisting arrest? Right. well, that sudden movement, could, could, it, could an officer have feared for his life? And it's like, we have to jump through all of these hoops to justify why we should not be killed or why a cop should give us a second chance. And at the same time, there was a young man who, he was from Massachusetts and he was in college or something, and they already gave him an out. He's mentally disturbed, okay? So it was a young man. He was in Massachusetts. He killed a friend. He killed several people, stole a car. Then they found him in Pennsylvania. And when they found him, he didn't have on his shirt. He too was sitting with, on a, next to the, against the police car with his arms behind his back. But you know what? A white cop was giving him a bottle of cold water to drink. Yeah. And I'm like, he killed people. Right. George Floyd didn't kill anybody. And right. think back to, um, and to, was it 2009? Uh, I forget when it was, but 15, when a young man went into in South Carolina and he murdered all those parishioners in that church. I think his mother Bethel, AME. He slaughtered those people. He waited until their eyes were closed in prayer. He sat down with them during Bible study. He waited till they closed their eyes in prayer and he just sprayed the whole entire room and killed people. When they found him, they gave him a bulletproof vest to protect him. We, need, we should have had bulletproof vests against him. They gave him a bulletproof vest, and guess what? They took him to Burger King so he could get something to eat because he was on a run and he figured he was hungry. Oh, my gosh. So, yes, and these are all documented. So when we, as me as a, a woman, a black woman sees this, and I'm going to tell you why uh, we're going to touch upon that in a second. When I see this, I'm like, George Floyd didn't kill anyone, yet and still your knee is in his back. And at the same time, that young, and he was a white guy, he killed people and he ran away and he stole cars. You're giving him a drink of water. But here, George Floyd, he can't move. He's saying, I can't breathe, man. Please, please, I can't breathe. Stop. You have no mercy. And it's because you don't see black people as human beings. You don't. Like, and I'm saying, I'm not saying you, but you're <laughs> yes. not seen as human beings. We're not seen as being equal. So you have, you have a lot of that going on. And so I look at things from a different lens. And I just want to say this, um, because we wanted to talk about like in the coaching industry. Um, I, I just tell people flat out, I do not refer to myself as a woman of color. You don't. I do not. So don't refer to me as that. I don't refer to myself as a person of color. What, which color are we talking about? Right. I'm not. I am a black woman. Yep. And I want to be addressed as such. Like when we go into the different, like the LGBTQ community, like I wanted to educate myself, like you're educating yourself. So I took a workshop and like the terms that they want us to use. Right. 
I am a black woman. I am not a woman of color. And someone, you know, I'm starting to see this online, like um, white women coaches are like, listen, my black sister, you know, how can I help you? Some of it, I feel like it's pandering. But well, then that's, like, what, that's what I was, I was so confused about when I woke yes. up two days ago. And they were like, help us to understand. And I told one woman, I said, first of all, I am not a woman of color. I am a black woman. I said, because, okay, let's just take an Indian like a, a, like a woman from India who comes to the United States, she's Indian American. We may share a similar complexion, but that's about it. Right. She is afforded different privileges, economic privileges that I am not afforded. You right. know, her family can come as an immigrant. They can get these amazing loans, set up Dunkin' Donuts, set up 7-Elevens. Okay. Whereas though people in the States like us, we're, we're denied that stuff. It's really hard. So I say an Indian American woman and I, we really have nothing in common. We, our struggle is not the same. I'm like, Oh, and Asian, Asian women, please. Right. Asian, we have nothing in common in terms of when you say person of color, it denotes a struggle. They don't have the same kind of struggles that I have. So I say, don't call me a woman of color. I am a black woman. Yep. And I, and another thing, I'll take it a step further. Um, this whole black and brown. I find that black people, we will fight for any and everyone because that's what we have to fight for everything. And we, we create this big tent and we bring everyone under our tent. And we say, oh, black and brown people, black and brown people. But I rarely see brown people advocating and fighting for black people. Mm. I rarely see it. But black people, we had just like this kumbaya thing where we have to forgive the oppressor. We have to include everybody under this big tent. But then when, um, even if you look at the women's march, you know, and we can get into, um, you know, something that you brought up about, you know, what people say about, you know, some of your, um, some of the things that you offer, how they can't relate. I mean, if you look at like feminism, it's always different for black women. Yeah. So I just want to let you know, I don't, I don't adhere to that term. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I'm glad I referred to it as a black woman, you as a black woman, because yes. I think I did that right. So that's good. So, because I don't, I certainly don't do everything right. And so one of the other things that I am grappling with, so one of the things, so I have not, like, this isn't, I did, you know, wake up to this current situation two days ago, but I've actually spent the past year really trying to help our school be more inclusive. And one of the ways that we've been doing that is through um, a book club where we've been just reading just amazing, amazing, amazing books. Um, And I'm going to forget what all the names are because we're on air, but I will put that list in the show notes of just really trying to understand and and understand our own biases and understand where they're built in. And before I showed up to this, this club, this, this book situation and and really being open to learning more, to be honest, I really like, I mean, I consider myself like what I really want, how I want to judge people is just by their insides. Like, and I feel like I've done, like, I feel like I do that. And yet, as I learn more, I see where we have all these, you know, situations what's built into us just mm-hmm. from how we grew up so i'm becoming more in awake to that but still there's this part of me that is just like people are people and and so i guess i grapple with like okay so so how can you lead from that place and still acknowledge what has been 
Um, you know, because actually you and I, like you were like my best friend at this event for a weekend. That's how we met. Like you were the first person I came to, like there was, you're just your energy. Like it had nothing to do with anything except the energy that you were exuding was amazing. And I knew I wanted to spend time with you. Right. So when we met, we spent every meal together. We ate lunch together every day. So, so that's the part that I'd like try to figure out and like what, like, like how do we how do we separate that? Because what I, I guess what I understand is that, you know, it's just so part of your, or what I'm coming to understand is it's just so part of your being, but it's not part of my being, your struggle until I start to learn more. And so like for you, where is that bridge and how can, how can we be helpful? You know, how can, like, what is the most helpful thing to do as a white woman right now, as a coach, as a, you know, someone teaching other human beings? I think it's one is, well, I think you're unique in that you're right. You did gravitate towards me, but think how many other white women did that with me at that event? How many uh, other ones did that? Are you going to say none? Like, is that the answer? Almost not. I think one okay. other was one woman named Sarah, but she was my roommate. But other than that, they didn't have time. And I find like in a coaching industry, um, like with me, most of my clients are black. I'm a, I'm, I, I have two white women who are in my how to build your online school and they're amazing because I too, I will meet you where you are. They're amazing. They're getting a lot out of it. Um, and they're cool. But other than that, like white women don't invest in my stuff. I don't know if it's like they have this built in, they think it's inferior. It can be like, wow, this is really what I need, but they don't invest. However, black women are always investing in everyone. But when it comes to us, you have to become like this super, super rock star for white women to invest in you. Well, and something you said, actually, as we were in our pre-talk banter was that you've been really working on your image mm-hmm. and, you know, no one's going to see the amazing, beautiful background that you have right now. And like <laughs> your hair is all done. And literally, I look like I just got out of bed. <laughs> but um, so it's it's interesting like, do you feel like that's partly you bridging a gap and needing to show, like, tell us a little bit about that. Does that have anything to do with race? Does that have nothing to do with race? Oh, no. I, listen, I'm at this point. I don't care if, oh, and, and I say this with all due respect. So if you're a white woman listening and you find out about me and I have something amazing you want to invest in, <laughs> by all means do. But I'm at a point where I don't need the white world's validation of me anymore. I don't need that. I, 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 I deliver results. They're amazing. You know, I'm a heart centered. And so for one, I don't, I don't care because I'm still making bank without it because there are a lot of people who like they, a lot of black women invest, you know? So that's the, that's where I'm coming from. Like, I don't, I don't need you to invest in my program. I don't need you. Whereas though before you kind of wanted that to be all inclusive. I don't need that. I'm past that. So, um, and I'm successful without it, like financially successful without it. So I don't need that. But I find that um, it's, it's not that way. Like white women don't readily invest in other, like in black women, coaches, you know, unless you become the super, super rock star where you can't be ignored, like a Lisa Nichols or, um, you know, or you, or you just become really, really good at what you do. Like, and you have to reach like such a pinnacle for them to be like, okay, I'm going to go to this person. So whereas though with other black women, they're like, we're just trying to get results. It's like a, you know, a lower standard. Not that 
not that your quality of work or your results are subpar. No, it's just that, you know, we're like, okay, I'm going to give this sister a chance. Now, in terms of my image, this has been something personal for me. And it was something that I've, like, I've always loved glamour. So when I teach some of my classes, I'm in a sequence dress. And I have this background and I have this nice lip and I love it because for so long I was running away from that because some people would say, oh, that's over the top. Oh, that's too much. But it's what I like and it's where I feel like most powerful. So I feel like in the in the coaching industry, um, you know, I, I ran into a white woman coach recently and she's a premium coach. And I just I just felt like whatever it was about me because like you know i said i was revamping things and i know my ideal people so so for some of them they may need a 37 dollar product just to get a sample or whatever and i remember showing her my website and she was just like you know i'm not knocking low-end products but i'm a premium coach because if i solve a big problem i deserve to get paid and i'm like yeah i understand that and i i do have that but you know i have a saying no diva or no dollar left behind so if someone wants to get a sample or a taste, I'll give them that, but we can go. So I just felt like she was just so, now there was another, we were doing a, a coffee, uh, we were doing a, a networking connection. There was a white woman coach who was in there. I felt she was more attracted to her and talking to her. And then afterwards it was like, oh, here, I would love to have you on my show. I would, mm. but for me, she didn't make that. And it's like, I felt it though. And even in, you know, when I show up powerfully as a black woman, like one thing I can always say about Mia, you always compliment me. I love the hair, Shalina. I, I love the makeup. I love the lipstick. I love that. You're not like, you welcome that. You're not intimidated by that. But I feel like some white people are intimidated by that. And it's like, they try to shut me down. They mm. try. I'm at a point now because I fortify myself. Like, listen, I don't need you. You know what I mean? I, I, I don't need you to validate me anymore. And so... Um, something recent came up that came to my attention and I love Marie Forleo. I love her. Oh, that's how I, that's actually how I got into this whole needing to have this discussion was right. like sucked into that Facebook situation. Right. So someone told me and my friend who's into visibility was like, listen, um, what did she say? She was like, listen, uh, something about Marie Forleo. I'm like, and because I had my head down, I'm like, what, what happened with Marie Forleo? So I finally saw because it was like images circulating around. Basically, she didn't want people talking about George Floyd, those posts. And when I read the post um, from Aphasia, like face value, I'm like, well, I can see where she's coming from. Like, she doesn't want people talking about that, you know, because uh, that's a really heated topic. Yeah. But, you know, and I'm like, I can respect that. But it was like, speak on your own pages, your own communities or whatever. But for here, this is what we focus on. I said, okay. But my friend said, but Shalina, she allowed people to talk about COVID ad nauseum, how right. they were feeling about COVID ad nauseum though. I said, oh, well then, yeah, I see now why people are, were upset. Like, so we can talk about this, but we can't talk about that. And like, you know, um, there's something and um, I have a political science background. I went to Duke University and it's something called critical mass. And critical mass is, you know, as long, you can have something and as long as it's just affecting black people or Latino people, it's an issue, it's all right. But as soon, okay, let's take drugs, the war on drugs, as long as it was a black issue or a Latino issue, 
yeah, let's criminalize it. Let's throw them away. Let's do all this. But as soon as it reached critical mass, meaning as soon as the suburban white boys and white girls were ODing yeah. on drugs, oh, now it's a sickness. It's no longer criminal. Oh, they need help. And, and the city of Philadelphia even went so far to set up injection sites where you could go and shoot up your meth or whatever. And they, it, they just wanted you using clean, clean stuff and you can go your way. And then they set up these, um, these porta potty things for them. And we were like, wait a minute. When black people were going through this and, and they having crack babies, you demonize us, you criminalize. And let's be honest, I don't know if you know the history, the CIA planted drugs in the black neighborhood. And listen, you don't have to take my work. Just do some research. Yeah. They did that. So it's like, okay, you planted it and now it's an issue, right? You criminalize it. But as soon as it reaches critical mass, as soon as white people are affected, now we have legislation. Now we're treating, seeing people as a human beings that they have always been. Right. So that, like, we have a lot of that going on. So I could see why people would have been upset with Marie yeah. if you let me talk about COVID, but you don't let me talk about George Floyd. Right. All right. And I'm noticing that it's getting time to, you have a client that you need to be on. So I want to wrap it up with like some, some actionable steps. So, so I think like the thing that I'm really focused on right now is the thing that, that I know that I avoid in the illusion that I can just, you know, take people for their souls instead of for their outside, which, you know, I guess deep down inside, I believe is true, but I also understand how uncomfortable I am with this conversation, which is why I'm like, you know, really wanting to show up to have it in this platform right now. Um, because once you start talking about it, you have to do some internal work mm -hmm. to then get back to that point of, of calm and like, you know, you know, I'm, you know, and, and I think we need to experience that anger a little bit as every human being to understand what it is that black women have been going through this whole time. Right. Because yeah. we haven't had to experience that, that, that anger inside and that, you know, not, we all want to feel that our children are safe. Right. And that they're taken care of in our systems. And clearly that's not true. And that, you know, things are fair and I'm going to be honest. <laughs> You have to be brutally honest with yourself. If you really want to understand, you have to be brutally honest. So before COVID hit, I took an LGBTQ plus workshop because I really wanted to understand like, okay, what's going on? And I'm, I'm really straight from the shoot from the hip. And I'm like, okay, when we were going through like the, the gay, they were explaining the gay, the lesbian, and then how they wanted to be addressed. And like, okay, how do you say, you know, um, what's your pronoun or, you know, how, how do you, um, and it's okay if we go a little over 10, that's okay. Um, how do you want me to address you? Mm -hmm. And then they say, okay, she or he, I said, okay, I didn't know that. So now I know, but, I, but there was one part and I was honest and I will be honest about it now. Back then when I took it, when we got to the transgender part, that's the part where I was like, wait a minute now, I'm really going to have to break this down because of the experiences that I had with some, um, some transgender um, women, which, you know, they're biologically from men. men, right. Mm -hmm. And, and some of the experiences were like that I had with seeing them. And it was like, I'm not telling me I'm not a real woman in that uh, they were real women. And I, I had, you know, so I, I came in with biases and I knew I did. Cause I'm like, wait a minute. Like, I, and I told them, I said, y'all listen, 
I really have to work with this because I can't wake up tomorrow and say I'm white. And I felt I was white in my life. Well, I was white my whole life, right? I can't do that. Right. Look at Rachel Dolezal. She, she was the, the white woman who she just became black, honey. And she said she always felt like she was, and it was like, no, you can't do that. And I was like, but why can someone do that with gender? So I was literally in the workshop grappling, like, I really, and so you have to understand that you have to first be intentional about going out and educating yourself. So this is a great first step, like, you know, interview other black women. Ooh, or I have a lineup. Are, I'm very right? excited. <laughs> interview them to see, and you're going to struggle with your own biases and things, just become aware of it and say, okay, all right. You know, cause like, so with transgender now, I it's so funny after that workshop, I ran into a transgender man and I I'm very observant and we were having a good time. Just like laughing. We were in a restaurant or something before this, before COVID and we were laughing and I'm like, so if, can I ask you a question? And uh, he was like, sure. I said, how do I, um, how should I address you? And then he stood back and was like, okay. And he was like, okay, so he. Yeah. I said, all right. And so I put into practice right away what I learned from that workshop. You yep. can't learn and then don't put it into practice. So I put it into practice and we had this most amazing conversation. And then um, he began to open up. See, me just readily calling um, the person I met a he. Right. Without saying that person. So it took, so I'm like, okay, so he started to tell me some of his struggles and how, you know, sometimes he doesn't always feel comfortable living as a man and and like imposter syndrome. And I had literally just met this person in the restaurant and we started talking and I'm like, listen, you need to believe in yourself and like, you know, be authentic to who you are. And if this is how you feel, then be that. I could not have had that conversation, nor would I have cared that much had I not took training. So this is so for people who are bashing white women for like asking questions, you can't do that because the same way I went to that LGBTQ plus workshop, I was asking questions and I, I, I felt uncomfortable with some of the questions, but I was really trying to understand. But one thing I did is I put into practice what I learned immediately. So I'm, I'm like, I'm more comfortable. And the thing is, my whole thing is I want everyone that I meet to feel respected. Yeah. Respected. And so I feel, and it's a daily process. It's a daily work, but seeking, being intentional and seeking out these opportunities to learn. And then like, I'm realizing, even for me, we're talking about, like, we were, you were, ta- you were talking about your privilege. When we talk about LGBTQ plus, I have privilege there too. And I said, Oh my God, my privilege right. is showing. Right. I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like you, you, you know what I mean? Like, uh, well, marriage is between, you know, whatever. And I'm like, Ooh, yeah. I stepped back. I said, Oh my goodness, my privilege. Like I have, so we have privilege in so many situations, even with men and women. Yeah. So you just have to become aware of that and really seek to be intentional about, you know, becoming, um, just more aware. Yeah, more aware. And I love that you, I love the idea of conversation. So it's funny because, so I'm in the middle of a launch right now. Mm-hmm. And the launch is all about a, a program where we learn how to plan and hold space. And yeah. one of the things that I got called up early in my journey of this, this, this book club that we did at school is we had um, one of the people who was sort of the head of it is a, is a black woman who's a teacher there. And I used the word hold space. 
And she was like, that is not something that we do. And I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, interesting. And so it sort of like took me off guard and I was like, okay. So like that got me into our whole morning routine. And I love that you and I have a very similar morning practice. Cause I was like, okay, like what, what part of that, like, is me being elitist, you know, like what, what's happened, like what's, what, what part of that is privilege, you know, what part's not. And, and so I, I just keep having these thoughts. And interestingly, when I sent out this email yesterday and I, it's just, my heart was heavy. It was the most honest email I've ever sent. My heart was heavy. I, I got all these emails of people canceling things, you know, people canceling their programs, whatever, just so that we can all be in solidarity. And oh, for yesterday, yesterday, blackout. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. And so, and, and I was in the middle of, you know, offering this thing that the, the, the doors are going to close. And I, and I just couldn't shake the feeling that if we can learn how to show up and be our best selves and take the time to do that, which is something that we don't do, we indulge in media and we indulge in all these other things and we don't take the time. I just couldn't put aside the fact that that was being helpful. That was me being helpful. So I, I wrote in a whole email about how I want to learn more and how my purpose for my next 90 day season is definitely going to be like this education piece and how I can move that into some action. Um, and I was going to leave the doors open because to be honest, the first woman who purchased was black. And I, I was like, I just feel like this work is good. And I got so many emails back of like, I can't believe you sent this email. Um, you know, whatever, like, oh, just from white women. <laughs> they were saying, but wait, was it negative or positive? Well, I asked in the end for feedback. So I opened the door and I said, tell me what you think. So I got a lot of nitpicking emails about things I said that weren't correct, like weren't, you know, PC to say, or I should have said it a different way, or I wasn't being sensitive. Um, and uh, you know, and so I got a lot of that feedback and, and I'm, I'm open to it. I'm open to learn from it. And it's just interesting to me that it's, it's, it's all people who are in a learning curve right now. It's, it wasn't, there was not a black woman who responded. It was all white women. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that's like, okay, so what, like, what are we like, what's next? <laughs> what are we doing? And, you know, I only know that cause like the little Google icon has some pictures. So, I mean, I guess it could have been, <laughs> and I just didn't know, but, um, but it, it's just interesting to me because cause then it's like, how do we show up authentically, all of us, right? Mm-hmm. And, and do good work and, and what is appropriate and what's not appropriate. And, and I just feel like there's a, a critical mass of, of, of people ready to show up and do the work right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyway, that's, that's where I am. That's what I'm grappling with is, is, is how, to, how, to, how to not, how to not, stand down but I totally would if someone told me that I should you know what I mean oh and so in terms of like offer still offering your course just offering and showing up showing up as my fullest self because I don't wouldn't want to take the spotlight away from somebody else but I feel but I, I I also wonder like I wonder where that's coming from because I feel like what we all need to believe is that there's a place for all of us. Cause I feel like so much of this behavior, so much of this ridiculous behavior is that there's not enough space in the world for everybody. Right. And, and, and I believe there is right. I mean, I believe there's space for everybody to do amazing things. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I go back to just being open and honest and, and the thing is no one's attacking you. 
Right. And I, and I don't feel attacked. Yeah. yeah. So like, but some people feel attacked. It's like, no one's, you know, no one's attacking you. We're just kind of putting some things out. There was um, a gentleman who a few weeks ago when, when COVID-19 first hit, he put out a social media post and I looked at the responses and he was like, you know, if after COVID-19, you don't come out with a side business or a new skill, you will have wasted this time. Oh my gosh. So, okay. So you say, oh my gosh. So why do you say, oh my gosh? Well, just because I feel like so many people are going through so many things. So that's like a lot of pressure. <laughs> okay. So you feel that's a lot of pressure. Now there were black women who felt pressure like that. Right. But I found that uh, like a lot of the white women I know were like, oh my gosh, why are you shaming me? I'm going through all these things. Why are you shaming me? And then, you know, some in the black community now, there is, and they, em, we embrace going to therapy because growing up, you just went to church or you prayed it, prayed it away. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, and then if you went to therapy, it's because you were crazy. So now it's like your mental health is now, it's, it's accepted now and people talk about it. So we had, you know, the, the black women who were into mental health saying, well, wait a minute, mm-hmm. you can't do that because people are going through these different changes, just like you were saying. But a lot of the white women I know were like, oh, you're shaming me. Like, you know, I don't want to start a side business. I don't want to do this. The whole time I'm looking back though, Mia, and I'm like, listen, your job may not be coming back. A lot of the women I know, you don't have a double income coming in or you don't have that extra support. You probably don't have those savings. You probably don't have that financial help that you need. You better start a side business. You better get a skill. So you don't have that luxury to say, oh, I'm, I'm feeling shamed. And then you're, spending, then you're spending the rest of the COVID depressed. You don't have that luxury. How are your children going to eat? They cut your hours or your job. You were laid off. You're getting unemployment now. How are you going to survive? Right. That is also the space I was holding. And then this is it about being mentally fit. And I talked about this on my live yesterday when I went to vote. I said, okay, I tried to tell you guys, I'm not saying don't feel sad, don't, don't be depressed, because there are plenty of people I know who lost loved ones to COVID. But what I was saying is you can't fall apart at everything. COVID was devastating. It devastated the world. But I'm like, if you allow COVID to devastate you, look at what's happening now. Are you going to let that, when, when, when does it stop? When do you stop allowing all this stuff to devastate you? Because when I saw Donald Trump stand up there and this isn't like, I I can talk about Trump and it not be political. It'll just be an observation. (laughs) Cause you know, it seriously, like it can really just be an observation. When I saw him, when, when they attacked those those peaceful protesters, the BB gun, not BB guns on the pellets, the tear gas. And to go to church. Yeah, to go to church and to literally pose with the Bible. Yeah. You know, um, and when, but when he declared war, basically saying, if you don't do this, I'm going to send a military in. It rocked me to my core. And I'm like, y'all, I was trying to tell you, like, no one is saying you can't be depressed. No one is saying you can't be sad. But a lot of black women, you don't have the luxury to stay there. That's all I'm saying. So you have to learn how to show up authentically, how to show up for your business and still deal with that depression, still deal with that sadness. Because unlike a lot of our white uh, counterparts, we don't have that privilege. We don't have that kind of credit to be able to live a couple of months. We don't have those kind of savings a lot. And I'm just being honest. So I'm like, you don't have that luxury. And the fact that you do, you know, some women do, that's a privilege. Yeah. 
And I, and I totally hear that. And one of the, one of the phrases that I've been using a lot is, and, and I think actually that points to why I want to do this work right now is because, so I've always been that plow ahead person and the person who, who knew I needed to hustle to make things happen on the other side. Mm -hmm. And, and because I didn't take pause I didn't feel some of the pain of others around me as I was doing it, if that makes sense. So I actually haven't taken the luxury, like I didn't take the luxury to, to feel like the shame or the whatever, but I don't know that that's good either in my case, because I wasn't forced to experience it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So I feel like, like, I, I almost feel like, like, cause, and, and, and when, if I had heard of a, um, a message like that on Facebook, I would be like, oh, that's a shame. Cause like, maybe some people need to take time off. But what I'm thinking is, oh my God, of course I'm going to hustle during, you know, if I've been my busiest ever during this yes, time. Me because too. Like, I want to make sure I utilize every second I have. <laughs> me too. That's right. Like, right. So that was like a big thing. And so I'm going to say it this way. I don't think that that's a bad thing. Like I said, when you're done your work, when you're done handling your business, carve out time for you to get in the know about the conversations that are going on. Watch those videos. Uh, just read. Just see. Just know what people are talking about. And, okay, you talked about pain. Like with this George Floyd thing, it saddens me and everything. But I don't have to carry around, like, pain. Why? It's Because it's not helpful for me and here's here's a decision I've made it's sad and I'm, I'm heartbroken like everyone else and when I went to my supermarkets and like and I showed you a picture of my um, my town the looting it broke my heart that some children and some seniors won't be able to get their food or their medicine that's the first time that I just I broke because I was just like wow people need help but I've decided that the way I'm going to show up and the way I'm going to help is I want to be the money meaning all right, does George Floyd's family have a GoFundMe? Send me the link, I will send money. Okay, and yesterday, it was unprompted. I felt God telling me to do it, and I did it. I wasn't clout, trace, clout chasing or anything. Um, I, I got dialed up, of course, and I did a live, and it was very short, and I said, listen, God put it in my heart to sow $1,000 into 20 families in Philadelphia to get food, um, of families and seniors. And that was it. And yesterday, I'm in the position, because I keep my head down, because I do the work, I'm in a position to just sow. Uh, it was a 20 families. I sold $50 and two through Cash App. Boom, 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 boom. And I was done. And then I had friends who were watching. was like, Shalina, wow, I want to get in on this. Because there's some people, they don't know what to do. I'm not going to be out there protesting. I'm going to tell you that. I'm not going to be out there protesting, getting hit by pellets and and it, that's me. That's the choice I've made. So because I don't go out and protest, I'm not for the cause. No, I want to be the money. So send me the link to his family's GoFundMe. I'll donate. God put it in my heart. So a thousand dollars. And I told the people the directions, what they did. I sold a thousand dollars. Some of my friends, they did as well. Right. To me, that's how I want to show up. That's how I want to help, you know, because during the civil rights movement, they had these big lofty dreams, but they needed funding to right. do that. I want to be one of the funders. And that's how I, I want to contribute. So um, 
I did that yesterday. So that's like my way of contributing and giving back. Now, like I said, I'm not going to be one of the ones on Twitter tearing it down. I'm not going to be out in Philadelphia protesting. I choose to, you know, um, have a direct impact financially. And that's the choice I made. Right. And we can all do that, right? So if we don't know what to do, there's so many people who have big hearts and this is their life work is to be helpful in this way. And Mm -hmm. they need money, right? And they need things like signs and time and things that they might need. And we can help in that way if we can't, you know, if if that's the way we're going to help. I love that. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And let me tell you, so many people responded back and said, Shalina, I was praying my husband, he had to go to urgent care. He has like a kidney disease. And because of the looting, the local pharmacy was destroyed. So they had to go all the way across town to get his meds. And she was like, I was just praying for help. So when she saw my post and um, I gave her $50, because it was 20 families, $50 a piece. I gave my 50. But then I had people who saw what I was doing and they're like, oh, wow, that's the way I can help. One of my clients, she sold $100 into this family because it's a mother with three girls of special needs. And the husband is sick right now. So she sold $100 so that they can get medicine. You know, so it, it all comes back. And then the beauty is this, because I keep my head down, because I'm like, all right, I took the time. I had to cancel my appointments yesterday with clients. I said, y'all, I need a breather, right? And then I had to hunker down. I had to go to the market and everything. I, uh, I showed up for a call last night. And guess what? I got that thousand dollars right back. I love it because I still know how to handle my business in the midst of all of this. Yeah. So I, I just, I just want to encourage more people like see how you can give, you know, and everyone isn't a, a terrible protester. And also I would just leave you with this in Philadelphia. Okay. Uh, I don't. Okay. So the hair stores. So, okay. So black people looting the hair stores, the liquor stores, the um the clothing the sneakers okay listen i'm like all right i can definitely i can't lie i can definitely see that now burning down police precincts burning down city hall that's not us like we're not we don't play with fire that's not us that was too organized and i recognized that when i first saw it and then it's like oh no there are these professional agitators coming in and they're doing a lot and a lot of the black people are getting blamed for it and i'm like no some things i'm gonna give it the hair the beauty the yeah the liquor store yeah okay yeah but some of the other stuff i'm like wait a minute so what's happening is everybody's being painted with that broad brush and so there are people out there who are not out there protesting they're not out there rioting but they're being negatively impacted because we live in food deserts for the most part in the city. And now the only supermarket is shut down. Well, and we're in the middle of a pandemic, (laughs) which is like insane to begin with. Like, right. I mean, we can't go shopping normally. So the whole thing, I feel like everyone is so, it's just, I I, I don't even, I I can't even begin to think of what's happening right now. Like, but it is crazy. Yeah. So I'm like, uh, and so I had the privilege of, okay, there's a local uh, supermarket and, it, and uh, the line was around the corner. And I'm like, I can't wait in the, I'll get anxiety waiting in that line. I just can't do it. So then I went to another su- a supermarket there where there's no line and I went inside. Their prices are higher. But I said, the trade-off is I don't have to stand in the line, but I can um, 
I have the money, I have the, I have the, the ability to go in here and shop and get whatever I want. So I said it was a trade-off. And as I was walking down those aisles, just like literally getting what I want because I put my head down because I do the work. I'm in a financial position to do whatever, you know, do that. I said, but how many people don't have this luxury? And that's where it was like, I got to do this. So, um, uh, uh, so, and I'm saying so a hundred thousand dollars because I know it's a, it's a seed, you know, and um, for people to know that they're cared about and someone does care about them in the midst of all of this. So um, don't just paint every person with a broad brush and say, oh, you're a protester or you're a looter. Everyone is not, you know, yeah. and I'm finding some of that in some of the, um, the posts from some people. I'm like, mm, okay. So if you see my six to seven year old son, you think he's a future looter. You know, you think he, it always goes back to that. So um, I appreciate you and I appreciate this time. Oh, I appreciate you. And I, I'm looking forward to more of your conversations um, because each, each week you'll, or however often you do this, you'll grow. And like I said, as soon as you learn something, put it into practice. Yeah. And, and like deal with it. And um, you'll find that you'll just be so happy that you did. And then you'll find that, you know, some, and let me be honest, there are going to be some things that you may never, ever understand. Of course. But you can respect, I'll show you respect though, but yeah. I still don't understand it. And that's yeah. okay too. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. That's, what's one thing we can all do right now? You know what? Um, I would say, listen. Yeah. Don't be so quick to use your fingers to type or to hop on live and just say, just listen and observe. And then try to be like not objective to be like, okay, let me kind of see like, you know, okay. So I I told your your listeners some things like, okay, so George Floyd, they had his his knee and his neck and they didn't want him to move. He didn't kill anyone, but the young white man, you know, he did kill people and they gave him some water. Do the research and look that up. And then really look at the images and really see like what comes up for you and just be honest about it. That's all. That's what I would just say. Just listen and observe and just do research and just kind of sit with it. And you know what? Hear your own biases come up yeah. and then be like, oh, I didn't know I was. Oop. Oh, my goodness. Like, Because we all have them. Yeah, I love that. And and don't suppress, which I think is don't what we have done as a society and mm-hmm. it's not gotten us to the best place. Yes. So thank you so much. And we will put in the show notes if anyone got the bug while listening to this of how they should go off and make some money and start at the very beginning, which I think is what you're so amazing teaching. Yes. Mm-hmm. We will put that note that in the show notes so that people can come find you. And yes. thank you so much and have an awesome, awesome day. You too. Thank you, Mia. Bye-bye. Right. All right. At the end of every episode, we always share some doable changes so you can take what you've heard and put it into action because action is the only way that real change happens. And right now, change is important, so we must take action. Now, the doable changes at the end of this episode are going to be a little different than they usually are, and that is on purpose. So if you are listening to this as a Black woman... Please listen to Shalina's bit about a morning routine. Please take her advice on that. Please take some time for yourself. Figure out how what you need first thing in the morning. It doesn't have to take long. Just a few things that set you up for your day. Because 
I think this is one of the most important things that we can do for ourselves. And until more recently, I did not realize what a privilege this was. And so I wish this for you going forward in the next couple of weeks. And I hope that you're able to do that because you can understand that more white women have your back. More white women are standing up and fighting and giving you permission to take that time for yourself. And I hope that that is is just even a little bit helpful because I know that you are tired and I see that you are tired and it makes me sad that you are tired and that I did anything to make you that tired. So learn from Shalina on that one, not from me, and see what you can do to really build your morning routine. If you are a white woman, we have some action to take. We really need to show up. Now, you might be listening to this as somebody who's way ahead of me in the learning curve, and that's great. I'm so excited. I'm so excited that there's people ahead of me on this path because I really want to learn from you. And I also believe that if we were all taking the action that we needed to, there would be more change happening. So please don't use that as an excuse not to find your next level, your next step. What is the thing that you can do to make a difference? So whether we're writing letters and trying to change our government or writing letters or making calls and trying to change what's happening at schools or going to a march that's in our town or reading and learning, which I think is a really important part. I've been to a lot of marches and I've signed a lot of things in in my lifetime and really what I'm feeling in the past few weeks is different and I think it's because I open myself up to hear to really listen and to really learn in a way that I hadn't done before and I think that this is a really important part of any change is to be able to really feel and so if you're at that part or even if you're ahead of me and there's your next level of feeling, I really encourage you to do that. Um, and I've put some resources in the show notes. There's so many amazing things coming out of this and happening so that we can learn in the next few weeks. And so I, I really, really encourage you to go do that. And just know that this is a marathon. This isn't about us showing up this week and then going on with our own morning routines next week. This is about us showing up going forward and really, really changing history so that, not changing history, we can't change history. We're going to change the future so that Shalina's son, so that the son of all the black moms out there and the daughters of all the black moms out there, so that they can experience a different world and have opportunities that we all that 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 it's unimaginable to me that they don't have right now and that is why we have to show up we have to be willing to show up with our wrong words vulnerably and really speak out at this point and so please take action and if you feel like your feelings are getting in the way of you taking action, which is something that happened to me last week. Next week's episode is geared toward helping you with that. So I'm going to keep building on this as I'm learning and as I'm having more conversations. This will be the focus for the next couple of weeks. Um, and I, I hope that this serves you. I hope that 
that you're open to learning and that maybe this inspires you to be open to learning if you're not. And I want to say I'm just, I'm really excited, but that's not the right word. I'm really on fire. I'm really on fire to to show up right now, to show up no matter what. And I encourage all of us to stay in as much action as we can to really make change right now, to really make change. What we need right now, more than anything in the United States and maybe in the world, is change. All right. I will see you all on the next episode of the Plan Simple podcast. And please remember, reach out to me. Reach out to me about my wrong words. Reach out to me if there's something that I need to learn in all this. And um, reach out to our two guests or our one guest in our intro that I read, reach out to Jackie and Shalina, whose info I will also put in the show notes um, if anything that they said resonates with you because they really have a lot more knowledge than I do. All right, I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Plan Simple podcast. If you loved what you heard, the biggest compliment you can give is to share the podcast with a friend. And if you really loved what you heard, if you want to go onto iTunes and subscribe, rate, and review. That really helps us get the best guests we can and improve the podcast so that we're serving up exactly what you want to hear. I will see you on the next episode of the Plan Simple Podcast. Bye for now.